G'day guys, this is Oliver from NRL My Opinion. Welcome to the Set of Six podcast. I am joined, as always, by the man, Clarky from Clarky's NRL Column. How are you doing today, man? Yeah, pretty well. Thanks, Sam, man. Pretty good to be here. Happy to be here. One of my favorite podcasts. Oh, yeah. Um, speaking of podcasts, i got to give a little plug. So during the week, I'm not sure whether you had a listen to it or not. Um, it was... Uh, released an episode where he gave a shout out to a lot of podcasts and actually gave us a shout out. We made the cut and, you know, I just want to give him a little plug because he said some very nice things about us and also our individual pages. So Nate Champion, if you're listening slash watching, thank you for the shout out. That was very kind. And he said, as I said, said some very nice things about you and me both. So, um, how good. Thanks, Nate. Remember to check out RLA podcast on Instagram guys. Yep, or on, I think it's Facebook and iTunes. Um, iTunes is where he uploads the podcast, and on mm. Facebook, it's Rugby League in America podcast. And, you know, he does that while having a little bit of popcorn and whiskey. <clears throat> anyway, on to today's topics. There's been a fair bit that has gone on in the past week, um, a couple of big stories. We kick off with one that's sort of sad. Um, Cooper Cronk has announced he will be retiring at the end of this season. Um, now, just to start off, I want to clear something up. A lot of people, I know when I made my post about it, I'm not quite sure about you, Clarky. people were saying, oh, the Roosters are just trying to get rid of him to free up cap space to try and you know give more money to Latrell or Luke Carey or to sign Tevita Pangai Jr. I'd argue to those people, they wouldn't be forcing him to retire if they were going to do that. If they wanted to get rid of Cooper Cronk, why would he not just sign with another club? Yeah. Why Why would he retire? I mean, I know he is 35, but I dare say the majority of the rest of the teams would love to have him mm-hmm. in their squad. So I really don't think it's due to that. I think this is purely Coops' decision. I don't think that the Roosters have had um, any input in actually trying to get him to retire because I, I just find that's a bit silly because if they did want to get rid of him and he didn't want to retire... He wouldn't retire. He mm. just signed with another club. So I just sort of wanted to clear the air on that a bit. But yeah. this does bring to mind a couple of questions. First one, what do the Roosters do with the freed up cap space now? What I've seen a lot of people say and what do I what I agree with is that they should be looking to upgrade the contracts of a couple of star players such as Latrell Mitchell and Luke Keary. And the main reason for this, I find, is because their squad is pretty stacked. They have got an amazing roster, a premiership winning roster, mm-hmm. They don't really need to sign anyone. What's your sort of take? What should the Roosters do with this freed-up cap space? First of all, on your first point, Cooper Cronk is a champion player. He dictates when he retires, not a club in any way, just like Jonathan Thurston did, um, just like Cameron Smith will, just like Billy Slater did. Um, They're champion players. They decide. They dictate. Um, For Cooper Cronk and what's next for the Roosters in terms of where they spend that money, I actually don't think they're in a position at all to hit the open market. When you go through their roster and look at who's coming off within the next two years, like you said, there's names like Latrell Mitchell, there's Joey Manu, there's Jake Friend, there's Jared Rhea Hargraves, there's Matt Ikevalu. Um, That's just off the top of my head. There's Mitchell Orbison. There is some key players, some experienced players, but more importantly, just on the two centers there alone, Joseph Manu and Latrell Mitchell. They're on about 400, let's go 500k max at the moment. They're going to be looking at a significant upgrade, at least 300, 400k more. For Latrell Mitchell, he's almost in a position where he can dictate exactly what he wants from the club, and that could be well more than 400 on 500k. We don't know. So for me, yes, there's a millions free in their cap, but they're not really in a position to hit the open market. If, If I am to see the Roosters hit the open market... I think they get a halfback with a nice short kicking game. Um, Someone that can really let Luke Keery more so be the dominant half. And I know that is a little strange. Usually your halfback is the more dominant. But it's not uncommon in the modern game. We see it at the Melbourne Storm every week. We see Cameron Munster as the dominant half there. And I think the man that fits the bill there perfectly is Aiden Caesar. I'm not sure if the Raiders would be interested in releasing him. They've still got him on contract for 2020. Um, But if I'm the Roosters, I'm looking to sign him on a cheap... 300 to 500k deal, partner him with Luke Keery, allow that halves partnership to grow there. And I want to keep a fair chunk of Cooper Cronk's money there to focus on re-signing 
their co-captains, Jared Rhea Hargraves, sorry, I don't believe he's a co-captain, a senior member, Mitchell Orbison, another senior member, co-captain Jake Friend, and as I said, they're two strike weapons in the centres, so yeah, I don't see him hitting the open market. Yeah, and look, if they do, it would likely be to get another halfback, and I 100% agree on getting that sort of secondary halfback that takes a step back, because Luke Keary has proven in the NRL Grand Final that he can be that lead man. He can take control. He won the Clive Churchill medal. Um, I'd argue that undoubtedly Cooper Cronk mentored him to that spot. And, you know, let's not forget, Cooper Cronk was still playing in that 2018 grand final. Didn't do much, but he still played. Yet Mm -hmm. Luke Keary was still the one calling the shots. So, you know, that just goes to show, um, you know, how good Luke Keary is and how the Roosters really need to let him, now that Cooper Cronk is leaving, take on that role fully full time as that lead half uh, the only other name that i've heard thrown around and that's because they'll link to him earlier this year that the roosters might look to sign is tevita Pangai jr now yeah obviously a very talented player but i don't think they need him no. in that roosters forward pack they've got an amazing forward pack if they sign tevita Pangai jr it'd sort of be adding insult it has sort of been an insult, I guess you could say, because they'd have that talented a roster and it'd be a real headache for Trent Robinson because you have to drop somebody, you know, you have to move and then you have to move someone to the bench. Um, so yeah. I, I really look, I, I don't say I don't see them signing to Vita Pangai Jr. Mm-hmm. because I still think they could, but I don't see it as a worthwhile signing. I don't, I, I see it as a bit of a waste of money, not because Pangai Jr. isn't talented, but just because of the talent in the forward pack that the Roosters have already got there. so I look yeah. at it age versus consistency. Like okay. you said, no doubt he'd be a great signing. He's a younger player. They do need to inject a little bit of younger um, youth into their forward pack, arguably. But we've also seen shades of inconsistency, particularly in defense. And we know the Roosters are not about inconsistent defense. They are about turning up every week. And more importantly, if they were to sign Tevita Pangai Jr., like you said, that means someone would either be moved to reserves or moved on. And of the two players that are coming off contract in the next two years, um, two men there, that's either Mitch Orbison, Mr. Consistent, Mixed to Fix It, or Jared Rhea Hargraves, who was the New Zealand Kiwis player of the yep. year last year. And obviously he's showing he's still consistent as ever in 2019. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Just one more quick question before we get off combat. Um, Cooper Cronk, Jesus Christ, what am I saying? Um, What does Cooper Cronk do post-NRL now? I believe he still has um, a job with Fox Fox League. Mm. Um, uh, He obviously doesn't do much while he's playing, but he's on the shows every now and then. I'd probably think that he'd take on a more full-time role with Fox Sports next season um obviously the roosters have offered him a coaching role as well that's not been specified what role in particular that is um but the reason i bring this up as well with the whole fox thing is because of someone you're friends with um dan and kemp um on his facebook page the locker room Mm. obviously another great podcast as well um he brought up the fact that he would thrive in the media Cooper Cronk because of that analytical mind and you can see it while he plays he is you know a real brainy halfback I like to say you know he can work things out really quickly and you know hopefully that can trans over to maybe an analyst role and you want to think of someone else who is a pretty good analyst as well his former mentor Matthew Johns and that made it click in my head when I saw it now this is just sort of a fantasy this is not a rumor or anything I'd want to see a show on Fox League next year, hosted by Matty Johns and Cooper Cronk called The Analyst, where they just dissect the game. Because when you think about it, there's not really a show on mainstream television at the moment that dissects rugby league. There used to be shows like that, where they'd go through the games through the week and they'd nitpick little things and, you know, go through it. But there's nothing at the moment. Um, I'm trying to think there isn't. There are mm. shows obviously they go over it in like the super Saturdays and whatever, but there's not like a midweek show that's dedicated to breaking down the games that have happened during the week. And I feel like those guys would be the guys to do it because, well, obviously we've not seen Cooper Cronk talk in the media too much, 
but we've seen it on the field. He is very analytical in that sense. And Matty Johns has, you know, obviously proven before um, his sort of rugby league brain. So I'd, I'd be for saying that. What about you? Well, his partner is a Fox presenter already, Tara Rushton. She works for yep. Fox. So straight away, he's got his foot in the door there. You factor in, he's possibly an immortal. For me, definitely an immortal if they go back-to-back this year. If they go back-to-back this year, he has been in the grand final since 2016. 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, and he would have won three of those in a row if he wins this year, which is just yep. incredible given they are favorites. Um, I agree. I think he steps into a part-time halves coaching role. Now, the interesting thing comes here is whether that's with the Storm or that's with the Roosters. At the Roosters, they have Lachlan Lamb, Brock Lamb, and Drew Hutchinson, three young halves. At the Storm, there's Brody Croft, Munster, Pappenhausen, Hughes, Nico Hines, there's a couple names there, but where it really gets interesting is when he was thought to be retiring um, instead of signing for the Roosters last year, Melbourne Storm offered him a halves coaching role um, when, at, on top of his what was thought to be a Fox deal. So he was going to yep. work at Fox and have the halves role at Melbourne. When he retires from the Roosters, I wonder where his heart still lies, whether he wants to go back to Melbourne and do that there, whether he wants to do it with the Roosters, or whether he does something like Andrew Johns and makes himself flexible for all sorts, all sorts of teams um, depending on the demand there. And as for your tip there, the show, I think that'd be absolutely great. Tips for younger players coming through, breakdowns on defense, why the defense is reacting to that offensive decision, um, stuff like that. As you said, there's no one really doing it. Denon Kemp at the moment um, is doing on his Instagram yep. page, Bloke in a Bar. Every week he reacts to match highlights. And because he's a former player, particularly in the outside backs, he tells you why a certain player shot up at that point or why a certain pass wasn't thrown at that point. And the way he breaks it down, you can really tell. Um, I think it'd be absolutely spectacular. As you know, I'm a big UFC fan. They do it a lot in the UFC. They break down why he's throwing this jab, why he's stepping back with that hook, why he's doing this. And for Cooper Cronk and Matty Johns, two of the greatest minds to ever play our game, if we could have both of them in the same room, breaking down games for the younger players, coming through, aspiring players, helping the fans understand defensive decisions, attacking decisions a little bit better. Uh, I think that's absolutely fantastic. But really, as I said before, Cooper Cronk is a champion player. He will dictate whatever the hell he wants to do because guess what? If he wants to go work for Bathurst for Channel 7, they're probably going to hire him because he's a champion. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, they'd have great chemistry too. As I said, um, Matty Johns mentored Cooper Cronk early on in his career and I believe was the one who actually told him to have a go at halfback. I don't believe he was a half before that. I think he might have been a hooker. Um, but obviously mm-hmm. that position wasn't there at Melbourne and Matty helped him. Um, just quickly, um, you said whether or not he'll go to Melbourne or the Roosters. I actually think he'll stay with the Roosters only because I think it was on the Roosters press release or it might have been Fox. Really, I remember reading it on an article, and mm-hmm. um, down the bottom, it was on Cooper Cronk retiring. Apparently, the Roosters had already offered him a a coaching role, which um, it was unspecified. But just to add to that, he moved to Sydney in the first place to be closer with his partner. Um, you know, now he's now his child, so I believe he'd want to stay in Sydney and you know continue that in retirement. And as we said, if he's working at Fox in the media. Um, you know, he'd, he'd be in the same industry now as his wife, Tara Rushton. Of course, she's a presenter for the Hyundai A-League, still on Fox as well. So, you know, they'd be able to spend a whole lot more time t- together. Anyway, we, you know, we could talk about Cooper Cronk all day. He's yeah. an amazing bloke, but we've got to move on now um, to someone that we touched on before, Tavita Pangai Jr. He has just renounced his New South Wales allegiance, um, siding with Tonga. Um, first of all, I'll let you answer first. Do you think this is a good move? If so, why? Yeah, good move for the game internationally. You know, Tonga have one of the most powerful forward packs with him. Uh, Fafida, Tamalolo, Takiyaho. Uh, who else? I'm forgetting someone else there. There's another big name, Adam Fanua Blake. They have a powerful forward pack. So it's good for the game internationally. But let's be real here. Tavita Pengai Jr. was never making that blue 17 um, he has had one very strong performance all year, and that was against the North Queensland Cowboys. Outside yeah, of that, he hasn't backed it up, particularly in defense. Yeah, and that was when we actually started talking about him for Origin. I believe it was after that round two game. Everyone, it was, you know, the headlines and everything. I think we probably talked about it on the podcast that, you know, 
Tevita Pangai Jr. would be playing for New South Wales. And ever since then, it, he's just not hit that form. You yeah. know, I don't know if it was, well, maybe initially not being able to live up to that hype because there was a lot of hype um, on him going into round three. Um, and then maybe he's just not been able to find that form again. But I have to agree that it is a good move in terms of international rugby league. I mean, it just adds to the competition. Tonga, uh, you know, they're part of what I would call the big four now. Australia, England, New Zealand, and Tonga in that order as well. I think England, well, they proved that late last year they are, I reckon, a better side than New Zealand now. And they are the most likely to sort of topple Australia, I guess, at the next World Cup, I'd argue. Um we have to see how Tonga goes against New Zealand next month as well. Um, but there's a lot more intrigue in international rugby league now. Uh, but it's weird. It's not for Australia. Not everyone's, you know, too interested in Australia. They're just, yeah, whatever, you know, they'll verse New Zealand, they'll verse England, they'll, they'll probably win. But it, it's great to see, you know, we've got countries like Tonga coming through. Um, obviously, it's not as widespread now, but, you know, the guy I mentioned before, Nate Glenn from the Rugby League in America podcast, I've been talking to him a fair bit and learning about the American game. Um, so it, it is an exciting time for international rugby league, and it's a real promising time. We've got the World Cup Nines at the end of the year, who, honest to God, I do not know who is going to win that. Um, so, yeah, it just adds to the competition. You'd think Tevita Pangai Jr. would probably play in that competition as well at the end of the year as one of the forwards that gets selected. Mm. It, it's just a really good move for International Rugby League. Now, personally, if I'm Tevita Pangai Jr., it's not the best move career-wise, I'd say, because I think you're obviously going to get a lot more notoriety and not a lot more attention get a bigger pay packet if you are playing for New South Wales. Um, and yes, he wasn't going to get picked Origin 1, but there was every chance in the future that he eventually gets the Blues jersey, and now that's probably not going to happen. So if this was a decision Pangai Jr. made, thinking, well, I'm not going to get picked, maybe he should have thought a bit more long-term about it. Mm. But as a fan... You know, as a as a fan, looking at it from the outside in, I think it's a good decision. If I am to Vita Pangai Jr., maybe not. Yeah. My biggest question mark is what changed his mind? What sparked the reaction to pull out of that race and, uh, I guess, re uh, realign himself with Tonga? And uh, for me, I mean, the answer is pretty blaringly obvious. It's just a little bit rude to come out and say it, but he wasn't going to make the Blues side. Yep. Um, he's too inconsistent on defense. I've counted a couple missed tackles this year from him that have led to tries. And, you know, everyone makes mistakes. It's not a big deal. But you want your strongest defenders in origin, especially your lock forward. Yeah. I compared his stats with 2018 to Jack DeBellin. Um, Tevita Pangai Jr. was slightly better in all the um, all the running departments. Average, he averaged a couple more runs, a couple more meters. Um, but how's this for defense? Jack DeBellin had double the tackles than him, times two. But he had less missed tackles still. Had like eight less missed. So there wasn't a big yep. difference there. But still to have more or less missed tackles. Um, but to be doing more than double the defensive workload. That I guess that highlights um, the Jack DeBellin. One will be missed for the Blues this year. But yep. two, Tevita Pangai Jr. isn't the man to replace him at lock there. When I look at his club as well. And you're right, he hasn't really had a super strong performance since that round two. I think it might have been the emergence of Payne Haas. He's come in, okay, he's yeah. outperforming everyone in that forward pack. He's taken a lot of the spotlight off the younger forwards. We're no longer talking about David Fafita, Jaden Sua, or Tevita Pangai Jr. We are talking about Payne, ha Payne Haas because he's outperforming them all in minutes, yeah. in tackles, in runs, and in meters. He is doing everything you want from your front row forward. And the fact he plays big minutes makes him a lot more attractive for me for state of origin as opposed to someone like a Tevita Pangai Jr. Yeah, well, just on Payne Haas quickly... I think the perfect position for him right now is 18th or 19th man for origin. Still very young, still very inexperienced in the NRL. Obviously, mm -hmm. you know, this This is, his, I believe it's his first full season. He'll be playing this season. And, you know, chucking someone into the origin 17 that quickly, never been in a full-on origin camp before, 
you know, never played that Origin game. He seems like someone who in that game could probably get, you know, a bit of nervous jitters and not play as good. I think for at least game one, have him as 18th man. He's earned the jersey through his form, but due to his inexperience, let's not put him in that 17. Let's put him as 18th man. He can experience camp, experience what it's like, you know, in the build-up to a state of origin. You know, he's... And then you pick him game two or game three in that 17 or possibly in 2020. He's experienced an origin camp before. It's not as unknown. It's not as nerve-wracking. And then I think he probably could play better. But that, you know, obviously Nathan Cleary was never picked as 18th man and just put straight into the origin side last year and the Blues won. So I I guess it just depends on the individual as well. But as I said, looking outside in, not knowing Hmm. Payne Haas personally, um, for me, it'd be the safer option to play him as the 18th man. Could you could you see New South Wales doing that? Yeah, I'm on the fence. I'm a big fan of if you're good enough, you're old enough. Um, and I put my my um, I guess my reasoning back to Freddie debuting for Australia as an 18 yep. year old. I mean, if you're good enough, you are old enough. I do agree that experience has to play a big part in Origin. And that probably is something that is against Payne Haas at the moment. You touched on Nathan Cleary. Your halfback is arguably your most important position in origin. You need them to be experienced. And Cleary really wasn't, but he did the job. But that was because I think he had James Maloney next to him. But forward pack is a lot more physical. We know origin is a lot more physical than the NRL. Um, And whether Payne Haas is ready for that, I don't know. Um, but there's only one way to find out Oz, and that's by throwing him in. So I wouldn't mind if he was on the bench, but I do agree with you. I wouldn't mind if he was 18th man, get used to the culture, the training camp, etc., um, before the nerves and the jitters kick in. Oh yeah, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind if he was selected in 17 as well. I think he could still do a job, but you know, um, I just like to be safe. I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, moving on from the Tevita Pangai Jr. topic that turned into the Payne Haas topic, um, we go on to Tackle 3. So uh, one of the UK's largest magazines, I can't think of their name off the top of my head right now, has reported that nine, yes, nine NRL players who are currently off contract in the end of 2019 um, have been is it offered to the Super League? Have been yeah. offered by their clubs to the Super League? They use the term in their magazine. It's League Express. They use the term are uh, being yeah. shopped around. So okay. whether that's via their clubs or managers, we don't know. Yeah. Well, the names in question are Daniel Alvaro, Aaron Gray, Kyle Turner, Jeremy Lattimore, Kurt Capel, Corey Jensen, Ray Stone, Max King, and Sasaya Fecky. Now, I know we talked about this a bit a couple of weeks ago when... Um, we did that post on Hull FC. Apparently, Hull um, are actively looking yeah. to sign NRL players. I don't know why, but apparently they're actively looking to sign NRL players and they want more than one. So you'd think mm-hmm. Hull would definitely be offering probably all nine of those guys something and hoping that a couple will come through. What I want to ask, though, is out of those nine, who do you think is most likely to make the move or who do you think will, how many of them do you think will? Mm. Um, And sort of, well, we obviously don't watch the Super League a whole lot, so we can't comment on this too much, but where do you sort of think they'll go to? It's interesting, isn't it? As you said, we don't really watch the Super League or follow it too closely in Australia, but yeah, Hull FC has to be a major player just for the fact they're actively pursuing so many NRL players at the moment. We had another separate five or six thrown to us in that post that we did. They're currently fourth, sitting nine wins from 15. Um, so they're not experiencing a terrible year by any sense of the means. Uh, one thing that's a little bit strange to me is there's no halfbacks in this list. I would think the major players would be Salford. They're obviously set to lose Jackson Hastings and Wigan, who are set to lose George Williams. So I thought we would have seen a half within that list. But just going through quickly, Alvaro, he will not leave. He was the Eels 2018 Player of the Year. Uh, He has too much to offer the NRL. Aaron Gray, I should say before, sorry, all of these players are off contract at the end of 2019. Aaron Gray, I think I've seen enough from Gray playing for the Sharks the past couple weeks that he's still NRL quality. He'll be picked up by another team, I believe. All right. Um, Then we had, was it 
Capewell? Kyle Turner. Kyle uh, Turner. Kyle Turner first, yeah. Yes, he's been heavily shopped around by the Souths all year until GI retired, and he's obviously had to help yep. fill in that centre role. But I don't think the Souths have a need for him anymore. I think he'll be moved on, and Super League is an attractive option, given yep. his um, neck injury history. Um, next, we had Lattimore. Yep. Big Jeremy Lattimore heavily experienced within the NRL. He will get a lot more money over there than he will in the NRL. I don't think I'd be surprised if an NRL team picked him up on a one or two year deal like we saw the Knights do with Lilliman and Heinington towards the end of their careers. Um, but if he does want more money, then Super League's the place for him. Capewell? Yep. He will, not, he will not leave. The Titans no. and the Warriors are very interested in him. And I'd say the Sharks are interested in re-signing him also. So I don't see him leaving at all. Um, who do we have next? Corey Jensen. Corey Jensen. Um, tough one. He's played a Maybe. lot of footy with Townsville. Never really been able to cement a spot within the NRL so far. Believe he played starting front row for the Queensland Residence game about a week ago. Yep. Um, so he is still playing very good football at the reserve grade level. I think he's only about 20, 22 or something. He's quite young. I think he sticks in Australia for at least another year or two and sees if he can cement a spot at the Cowboys with Matt Scott set to retire. Yeah. Up next, we've got Ray Stone. Ray Stone, another one that's young, not able to crack consistently into a first-grade team yet. <sighs> Tough one because I don't know him at all. I would say it would come down to how much money he was offered to move over there. Um, the Eels have lost a few young good players, uh, forwards in particular. Uh, Matt Ryan, etc. went over there when they were young, sort of in and out the Eels team, and um, they become pretty much stalwarts of the Super League competition, so... Yeah, um, Max King. Max King will not leave. I've spoken to Max King. Um, he's got no interest in Super League at this stage of his career. Yeah, now last but not least, the player who I think um, is probably the, or maybe the biggest star out of these players, um, got a bit of a resume, Sasai Fecky. My tip is he'll go to the Toronto Wolfpack. I think they'll want to, okay. they've obviously got Ricky Latelli there already. I think they want to link up the former premiership winning wing center combination there at the Toronto Wolfpack. I'm not sure how far their salary cap expands in their competition they're in or anything. Um, but if I'm a member of the Wolfpack, I'm looking, uh, it was only, it was about five years ago, used to won a premiership in the NRL at the highest standard of rugby league in the world. Um, let's bring him in. Yeah, hundred percent. Look, if I have to look at all these players, um, I don't think all of them will go. I probably agree with most of the players that you um, said were going to, were more likely to leave than others. But in terms of teams, another team who I don't necessarily think should target these players, but a team who I think will probably have their nose sniffing around is the Leeds Rhinos. Now, yeah. Leeds, at the start of the season, um, they were the favourites to win the Super League. They yep. just signed Trent Merrin, Conrad Hurrell, um, Tumaola Lola here. They are currently tied last they are in a relegation battle they could be in the championship next season which i would love because i'm a bradford bulls fan um mm. look and they've just sacked I, their I coach so yeah, there's going to be a rebuild they they sacked ferner but they i i just hope they don't do what they did last year and think let's get a few nrl players in because i was fooled i thought they're just going to flog everyone now but it, it's obviously not worked out. There are reports of Trent Merrin um, wanting to come back and play for the Dragons. Um, I watched the game against Bradford. The NRL players that are now at Leeds watching that game, and this is just going off one game, mm. I'd argue were almost the worst players on the field that day. They just did not look good. Conrad Hurrell, um, errors galore. Trent Merrin just didn't seem like he was putting in any urgency. Lola Hill was all right. He got a, um, a try, and I think, you know, he set up a couple, so he was going all right. And I think that was from the fullback position. So I think that Leeds will probably be sniffing around because they're in crisis mode at the moment. <laughs> we think Penrith are in crisis mode. Leeds are currently in danger of getting relegated to a whole lower division. You know, that's like if Penrith got relegated to the New South Wales Cup. So yeah. I think Leeds are in a bit of a crisis. One of the giants of English football. So I think they might go into panic mode. I think they might try and pick up a couple of these guys, but I don't know if it will necessarily be the right call. Um, <clears throat> but other than that, uh, I, I can't really pick out anyone. 
I'd argue as well, just to sort of digress for a second, um, it's just been announced that the New York team has been approved for, I'm not sure which level of English football they'll be starting out in. I think it's one of the lower grades. I, mm-hmm. I believe it's in 2021. Just when you brought up the Wolfpack, I wonder if players whose contracts will be coming up at the end of 2020 possibly will sort of, you know, be seeing that there's a New York team there and be interested by it because I believe it might have a little bit of a Toronto Wolfpack effect where they might get some um, NRL players to play for them in the lower grades. So that'll be interesting to, to see. Um, I believe there's also an Ottawa team, um, another Canadian team, mm that are throwing their hat in the rink. Um, I don't know if they've been approved yet. I know New York has, I think it was yesterday. Um, But there's also Ottawa sniffing around as well. So, you know, there's a fair bit sort of going on in English football right now. So, um, yeah, it'll just be... It'll just be um, interesting to see who who makes the move over and, you know, what's going on. So I I think um, the English game can pick up a fair bit of interest in the next couple of years. Um, especially if the Wolfpack get promoted this season. We've got New York coming in, possibly Ottawa. So, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely some interesting times ahead in the international game, which is exciting for Rugby League. Yep, 100%. Anyway, on to the fourth tackle now. Now, we're heading out to my neck of the woods, Penrith. Do the Penrith Panthers need a rebuild? Now, I know I'll I'll let you talk in a minute. You can go on a rant if you like because (laughs) a lot of people have seen. (laughs) (laughs) You're probably tired of talking about it by now, but somehow you'll you'll find something to say. Uh, Look, do Penrith need a rebuild? I wouldn't say a full rebuild. I think there are definitely a couple of players that need to go. Um, I believe two of those players, and I know you've done a giveaway with one before, and... Um, you are friendly with him, so it's nothing personal. I think Dallin Matenny's Lesniak needs to go. He's been dropped this week. He is just... Mm. I don't know if it's a loss of confidence. He's been very errorful this year. Um, we saw the incident that happened with Dylan Edwards um, on the weekend against the Warriors where they just smashed into each other. You know, no one was calling for the ball. Dylan Edwards might be one that needs to go as well. He has lost confidence, although I think he might end up in New South Wales Cup. Um, and another one is probably Josh Mansour. Now, he was all right in New South Wales Cup on the weekend, but he's got the same story as Dalin Martins Lesniak. I think the reason why Penrith haven't gotten rid of these guys earlier on, um, because I would argue probably the back end of last year, they were, they were out of form in parts of last year as well. I think the reason why they've kept them is that they've been you know, there for basically since Penrith started winning a lot. Um, they were integral. They still are currently an integral part of the team. However, they are becoming more a liability than an asset. We heard a couple of years ago that the Rabbitohs were really keen on signing Josh Mansour. Uh, I believe Penrith might have upgraded his contract or that didn't go through for some reason. We've heard, um, I think it was a couple of weeks ago during Magic Round that um, Wateni Selesniak was linked with the Eels. He came out later that day and said he didn't have any contact with the Eels. So we don't know what's going on there, whether or not he's just, you know, saving face or um, whether it's genuinely just a rumour, which I'm starting to think it might be because we've not heard anything else since then. We've not heard any development. Um, So I'd argue, unfortunately, I'd say that DWZ and Josh Mansell would probably be the first two on my list to go what about what about you do you think Penrith need a rebuild and to what extent and who do they get rid of yeah I I knew I I said I wouldn't have anything but just while you spoke then I read about 10 lines of stuff that um, I could definitely bring up here so the problems all started when they sacked Hook Griffin I don't know why that decision was made because he had them comfortably within the top eight I don't think there's a history in the game where a coach has been sacked for having his team within the top eight. We know now that it was a little bit of a personality clash with Gus Gould. Doesn't matter. You're a professional business. Yep. You make you make it work. As for Dallin with Tennis Lesniak, he can't be down on confidence. He's coming off being named the New Zealand captain for the yep. first time in his career. What a great honor. He should have come into this year flying. He was given fullback above Caleb Aikens, the one of their greatest young talents coming through, above their their 
their fullback last year in Dylan Edwards. So it can't be confidence with him. I agree. He needs to leave. He needs to join the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Okay. Um, Mansour, second most errors in the NRL by one. He has 20. Dugan has 21. Dugan has played bloody front row, fullback, wing, center. He's played everywhere, basically. So you can make excuses there. It is hard to find rhythm um, and, I guess, consistency when you're being shafted around so often due to your versatility. Mansour sat on the wing. Yep. And I find that very concerning. 20 errors from the wing. Um, I assume yep. most of them would be from knock-ons, knocked-on balls, maybe off yep. kick returns, etc. I don't know. Shocking. Dylan Edwards. Uh, he was rumoured to be potentially being looked at by the Cowboys. He was playing a lot better in New South Wales Cup. Hopefully, he's found his confidence again. They need a solid hooker. Sony Katoa and Wade Egan are not solid hookers at the moment of the, at the stage of their career. They need to sign Jaden Braley from the Sharks when he comes off contract. They need to move Maloney on ASAP. Because right now, the Parramatta Eels... Uh, sorry, the Penrith Panthers are the Parramatta Eels from last year. The Eels, in 2017, were a top four team. 2018, they were a bottom four team. The Panthers, in 2018, were a top four team. 2019, they're a bottom four team. What did the Eels do to find their form again? They moved on one of their halves, and now they're... I think they're in the top eight. If not, they're just outside. Yep. They moved on Corey Norman to the Dragons. Obviously, they need to move Maloney on um, and stick with Jerome Luai. And Nathan Cleary, that's the future of their club. As for... Where the rebuild begins, I don't think they need to go out and look too heavily. No. They have the talent at their club. They they have the best development system in yep. the in the country. We've seen Brian Two come in last weekend and not look out of place once. And I can tell you right now, I can't give you specific names because I don't watch much lower grades footy. But the fact that consistently for the past half decade, Penrith Panthers, under-20s team, New South Wales Cup team, SG Ball team, um, Harold Matt's team, they have all been in the finals or very high up there. The talent is all there at their club. They just need to start blooding them slowly, bringing them through the system um, because at the moment it's, it's a wreck. I mean, and if you're not going to finish top eight this year, which if they lose this week, they basically rule that out. If you're not going to do it this year, then you might as well blood some young guns like the Eels did last year. Yeah, and just on Brian too, uh, you reminded me of a point I wanted to bring up. So on the weekend, I was at the Panthers-Warriors game, and it was in the second half where Brian too was on my side of the field. Um, so I got to see him up close, and because I wanted to keep close attention to him because I'd heard a lot, but instead of seeing that, I actually saw what was one of Penrith's main problems. Now, I can sort of understand why. They are not risky enough. I've obviously talked a lot before about the Warriors, how they play a lot of free-flowing, risky footy. Mm. The Panthers don't do that near well enough. So every now and then, the ball will come out of dummy half. It'll go to Cleary or Maloney. They'll pass it once, pass it twice. Then they'll either pass back on the inside or they'll take the tackle. I counted four. Four occasions where Brian Two was on the wing and had literally nobody and I mean nobody in front of him. Nathan Cleary would go to pass the ball to him or to Wunga Blake and would decide to turn back in and pass the ball or take the tackle. Or Wunga Blake would have the ball and not give the ball to Brian too. So it, it also seems like they're not not—they're moving too quick. They're not checking out their options because I can almost guarantee you if they had gotten the ball to Brian two on those three or four occasions, they would have three or four extra tries in that game. Um, the only way I can see Brian two not scoring those tries is if he bombed it by knocking the ball on, which he didn't really have. I think I remember him making one error all game. Hmm. Or obviously, if Roger Tuivasa-Shek would come across and cover defence and um, and make the tackle. But other than that, literally, he was ninety nine point nine 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 percent going to score. But because Penrith were not aware enough, because Cleary wasn't aware enough in the halves, they weren't getting the ball out to him. And even though I'm not a Penrith supporter, it was so frustrating because they were down. You know, the Warriors were playing excellent. And there were four opportunities. Like, it, it was like the Warriors were like, here, look, we're way in front of you here. We're just going to leave him standing there, Brian too, all this space. And, you know, give him the ball and he can run and score. But they did not take advantage of that at all. And it was so frustrating. So that's another thing with Penrith. They 
are not playing risky enough. And I guess that comes into um, Ivan Cleary's style of more a defensive coach than an attacking coach because an attacking coach would 100% be, you know, encouraging the wingers to get the ball, especially out on their edges. Um, I know that <clears throat> um, I believe Zelezniak was getting a few runs, um, but it was when he'd come infield. He wasn't necessarily getting the ball out in his wing. The wingers were coming infield. And I found that a bit strange. Wanga Blake was coming infield to take the ball. And, you know, Brian too was on a couple of occasions. And it's like, okay, that's fine if they come in and, you know, hit the ball up every now and then. But their wingers, they should predominantly be getting the ball on their wing and, you know, trying to score from there, make an opportunity from there. But mm. they just weren't being utilized correctly. And, you know, that comes into, I guess the four pack might be getting overworked because they're not getting the ball out to them enough. And I believe it was, what, did you have a point you wanted to bring up? Yeah, I think it comes yep. back to the players uh, playing for stats and completions more so than playing for points. At the end of the day, you play rugby league to score points. That's how you win the game. You don't yep. win the game if you have a high percentage of uh, sets completed at the end of it. This could be due to the fact they're scared of being dropped because of the form the whole club's in at the moment, but they're not taking their opportunities, as you said. And when you don't take your opportunities, you experience a drop in confidence. Your confidence yeah. drops and you start questioning yourself. Should I have taken that opportunity or did I do the right thing? And when you start questioning yourself, then you hurt your consistency because you're not playing your natural game. You're thinking about stuff that you might have or should have done three sets ago. And when you factor all that in together, you have what the Panthers have at the moment. They're not taking the correct opportunities as they pop up. Yeah, I think it was on Matty Johns' podcast. I was listening to it the other night. Um, <clears throat> basically, he said, if you put Damian Cook into the Panthers' side and he plays the way he does, makes his darts out of dummy half, if he makes one of his darts out of dummy half, he'll look behind him and his teammates will be 20 metres behind him. No one will be with him. At the Rabbitohs, he does that. Everyone's on their feet and everyone's pushing up. So I guess it, it brings into um, account that, you know, that possibly overworking of the Fords or down to pure urgency and possibly laziness as well. Um, but anyway, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm getting a little bit sick of talking about the Panthers. Um, I can only imagine how you're feeling, you know, having to talk about them all the time in a negative way as well. Yeah. So I think we'll move on. Tackle five, Sean O'Sullivan to the Cowboys. Now, this one was a bit surprising, but not surprising to me. Um, surprising due to Sean O'Sullivan only just signing with the Broncos. Um, it seemed like when Nick um move to the Warriors was impending, um, Tommy Dearden sort of just came out of nowhere in the sense that his name was brought up a lot and he eventually was the one to make his debut. I always thought... You know, leading up to that point, they're going to drop Nicarima and bring in Sean O'Sullivan. They didn't do that. They did go with Tommy Dean, and he's been all right so far. Um, but now, um, it's obviously not a surprise because it seems like Dean's obviously preferred over um, O'Sullivan. He wants to get a better opportunity. I think he will get that at Cowboys. So um, I think it's a good move for Sean O'Sullivan. He's more likely to get a consistent role in the halves there. If Jake Clifford isn't playing up to scratch, if Martin, when he's in there, isn't playing up to scratch, you know, whoever else they want to chuck in there. I think John Asiata's been there as well. Um, the Cowboys are in trouble, especially with their halves. Morgan needs someone there with him consistently and someone that is going to play consistently. Hopefully, Sean O'Sullivan is the answer to that question. What do you think? Yeah, great move for Sean O'Sullivan and for the Cowboys. I mean, the Broncos have made it clear Dearden is their future. You don't debut an 18-year-old unless his name's Nathan Cleary or he is the future of your club. The fact that Nick Arima came out with a quote a couple of days ago saying he was told by the Broncos he is keeping the seat warm for Dearden is further evidence to that. I think that's a pretty disgusting thing to say to your, your halfback, but I guess that shows rugby league's a business. So the writing is on the wall right now for any young halfback at the Broncos, and there's three there at the moment. There's Dargan, there's Pakes, and there's O'Sullivan. Not only are you only going to be in that side unless there's an injury to Tom Dearden, but then you're in a three-horse race with your peers. Um, yeah. You know, you could potentially be the fourth-string halfback there for all you know. 
like I said, the writing is on the wall for O'Sullivan. Get off this ship while you still can. I think he'd be a great 5'8 for the Cowboys. And I honestly think he would learn more from Michael Morgan. We know JT is still in a coaching role there at the Cowboys. Who the hell wouldn't want to be coached by JT? He will learn a lot more from those two than he will ever learn from Anthony Milford because he's not a game-managing half. Um, And, you know, you could say, oh, he can learn from Dearden. Sean O'Sullivan's 20-something years old. He does not want to be learning from a kid younger than him. So the writing's on the wall. Get off while you still can, Sean. I think you'd be great for the Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, not much more to say on that one. Look at that. We've just gotten through a topic pretty quickly. God forbid. Um, Anyway, we move on to the sixth and final tackle now. Every five rounds, obviously, um, I personally do my ladder prediction update, which will hopefully be out tonight or tomorrow. But also on this podcast, what we do is we go through our contenders and pretenders, basically who we think has got a realistic shot at winning the premiership at the end of the season and who doesn't. And a bit of a spoiler alert, as per usual, as it's been so far this season, my list of contenders is not very big. So anyway, we're going to start off with the Brisbane Broncos. Going to go down in, I think it's alphabetical order, or I'm just looking at the pictures here and I'm going to go down. Start off with the Brisbane Broncos. I'm going to say pretenders. They're looking good right now. I still don't even think they'll make the top eight. I don't think... I need to see a bit more. I need to see... I know they're obviously looking pretty good at the moment. I need to see real consistency. I need to see them go out and dominate. Yes, they beat the Sydney Roosters with a good defensive effort, but I just don't think they can sustain that defensive effort week in and week out for the rest of the season. I'm going to say pretenders. What about yourself? Pretenders. They have a great, young, enthusiastic side. Their enthusiasm will get them over the line for some games. However, big wins like that will be sporadic because they're not experienced enough for week in, week out NRL. Yeah, up next we've got the Canberra Raiders. I'm going to say pretenders as well, which might be a surprise to some people. Um, they've just lost two games in a row. Yes, it was to the Roosters and Rabbitohs. However, if that was the start of possibly a, a decline back into the classic Canberra Raiders squad, putting in a 60-minute or so effort and probably just losing at the end or possibly just not looking good at all. Still think they'll make the top eight, though, but um, I believe that they, they'll they be similar to the Dragons where they start off hot and eventually drop off. And I believe that is what is going to happen to the Raiders. A fantastic squad. Um, I guess I'm putting this down to how they've played in the past couple of weeks, which is still pretty good but also to how they've been in the past. I just cannot see Canberra finishing in the top four this season. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're not contenders for me. Looking at some of the other sides, they're great, but they're just not they're not contenders for me. Hmm. Contenders. They would have beat the Rabbitohs and the Roosters if they were at full strength. I don't like to use injuries as an excuse, so I'll use the reasoning... About six or seven of their current top 17 players have under 50 NRL games. The more experience they get through the year, the more dangerous this side will become. Okay, up next, we have the Bulldogs. 100% contenders. They are guaranteed to win the comp. No, unfortunately, I'm going to have to say pretenders, which is sad because at the start of the year, I had them finishing ninth, probably having a sniff in at the top eight. I believe in a couple of years... This side that they've got now could be a premiership contender. They're very young, a lot of the players, but they do have a lot of potential and talent. Keep this young crop together for a couple of years. They'll come good. I don't really think they need to go out and sign anybody, but for this season, they are pretenders. Pretenders, not enough outside strike with their backs. Yep. Um, The Cronulla Sharks, pretenders for me. Um, not really convincing too much, especially lately. They have got a lot of talent in their side, and I think they'll fire back and possibly even finish in the top four. But I, I don't realistically see them winning the title. You put them up against a side like the Roosters or the Rabbitohs on grand final day, I don't see them getting the job done. Contenders, once Sean Johnson and Matt Moylan return in the halves, they have too much X factor across the park, and they can beat any team with the right mindset and attitude. Newcastle, uh, sorry, no, Gold Coast Titans. I wish contenders, but pretenders, um, in the same vein as the Bulldogs in a way, 
Well, the Titans aren't necessarily a young team that's got potential. They are a side with a lot of individual great players, but are just not gelling. And it's the same story as the past few years. They've had a side that should be contending, but they aren't. And I finally bit the bullet and I'm agreeing with you. It is because of the way they are being coached. I believe the Titans need to invest in getting a coach, a coach that will coach these talented individuals to play well together and we'll see a lot more consistency. The Titans are probably the Canberra Raiders, the new Canberra Raiders, where they'll put in an amazing performance for the first half and then just drop off and lose in the second half. So I've got to say pretenders. Pretenders, they cannot play the full 80 minutes because they have no genuine leader within their spine. And I can tell you right now, I don't care if Ash Taylor's a million-dollar man. He is not that the leader that they need in their spine. It's not Tyrone Roberts, even though he's the captain. It's definitely not AJ Brimson, and it's definitely not Mitch Rain. Maybe when Pete's comes back, I like maybe him being the captain. Um, maybe co-captain with Jai Arrow. But yeah, the fact they can't play full 80, they're beating teams in every stat you want to win. More tackle breaks, more meters, more runs, more completed sets, more possession, and still losing games, it highlights there's no leader in that team. The Manly Seagulls, I'm going to say pretenders again, but hang on, Manly fans. Rejoice because I don't have your team coming last anymore. How I still think they'll miss the top eight. We are People seem to forget we're still not even halfway through the season, and I think Manly are definitely one of those sides that could go through a bit of a losing streak before the season ends. Yes, they have suffered a couple of injuries and they've still been, you know, kicking on all right. However, I'm still harping back to that lack of depth because as the season goes on, you you do need that depth, not only because of injuries, but players are getting tired. You know what I mean? The, The season's having a bit of a toll on them. And I do think that a few of the teams that are currently around them on the ladder and maybe, you know, a bit under them will probably get a boost in a sense, or they might hit some form or are currently hitting form and are coming for Manly. So I honestly do not see Manly being a contender in 2019. Contender, I agree. Very poor lack of depth, but the fact this team just keeps winning when you add Daly, Cherry Evans and Tom Travojevic back in the mix, that makes them dangerous. I think they can mix it with anyone on the day. The Melbourne Storm, my first contenders of the video. Why? Because they are the Melbourne Storm. I mean, what more can you really say? We harp on about it. They've got an amazing coach, Craig Bellamy, Cam Smith. You've got players like Pappenhausen coming in. You know what I mean? Um, you've got Brandon Smith coming through the ranks as well. We've got an amazing forward pack. The wingers, the centers. I'm basically finding myself naming every single position. They are a champion squad. And I believe, I don't necessarily think that they will win the competition, but they are definitely contenders. Contenders, Craig Bellamy and Cameron Smith, full stop. That's all you really got to say, isn't it? Uh, The Newcastle Knights, pretenders. Now, obviously, yes, they've been pretty good lately. However, they have displayed, especially at the start of the year, that when Mitchell Pearce is having a bad game, when Kalen Pong is not exactly having the best game, it seems to just unravel the side and the Newcastle Knights then don't have a great game. It is a little bit risky that, um, you know, that there's so much emphasis on Pierce and Ponga and, you know, when they are playing good, the side plays good. When they are playing bad, the side usually plays bad. You know, it is a bit concerning that when one of those guys is having an off day, it impacts the team to that extent, mm-hmm. um, obviously still some amazing individual efforts, like from David Clemmer, I believe he has the most con- post-contact meter so far this year. However, I just can't see them being genuine contenders when Mitchell Pearce, and not to as big as an extent, but Kalen Ponga and Mitchell Pearce are sort of a bit inconsistent this season. Hopefully for Newcastle, um, this is a sign of real consistency, how they've performed lately. Yeah, I've got them as pretenders just. As you said, the side is too reliant on Mitchell Pierce. His form dictates 
whether they're winning or losing. It's no surprise they're on a four-game winning streak. Three of the last games, Mitchell Pierce has polled three points on the Dallium leaderboard. So there you go. Yeah. Um, up next, we've got the side who you at the start of the year, I believe, had fifth on the ladder. Let's not forget that. The North Queensland Cowboys pretenders. Um, there's... We've we've talked about the Cowboys a lot this year already as well. Um, their their back five, arguably their back seven, is not a playoff final side. They've got a decent forward pack, but you know it, it, it's just not an all rounder, amazing squad like the Roosters, Rabbitohs, Storm, etc. Mm. So pretenders for me. Yeah, pretenders. They just can't find their groove. I'm not sure exactly what it what what it is or what it what it could be, but Gideon Gallen Mosby comes in this week on the wing. Hopefully, he can add a bit of spark to their back line that they desperately need. If not, if I'm the Cowboys, I'm throwing some money at Bevan French to come and play fullback for me. Parramatta Eels pretenders, and no, I'm not just saying that because they've been beaten by 60 points by the Melbourne Storm. Um. I just believe, look, it, it is a really good side that is playing really well at the moment. But as we've seen recently, you put them up against a Melbourne Storm or a Sydney Roosters, they just don't seem to be able to get it done. And I believe if you put that sort of, other than probably Blake Ferguson, you put that finals inexperienced side... I just picture it in a grand final, Roosters versus Eels, a lot of inexperienced players in that grand final in terms of playing in big game situations. The defending premiers, who's going to win that? The Roosters probably win that easily, and I'd argue the same if they went up against the Rabbitohs, Storm, etc. So, Eels, pretenders. Yeah, still pretenders at this stage. No team's ever had 50-plus points put on them and gone on to win the grand final. So can the Eels defy history? I don't think so. Now, of course, I gave you a little bit of flack saying that you had the Cowboys at fifth at the start of the year. Up next, we're going to go with the team that I had second at the beginning of the year, the Penrith Panthers. Now, unfortunately, I'm going to have to say pretenders. Can you understand why I had them second at the start yes. of the year, though? I it, mean, come on. It wasn't a poor prediction, but it, it's no. just aged very poorly. Yeah. <laughs> look, the Penrith Panthers, uh, look, we've talked about them a lot this video. Basically, what I'm going to say is I do actually believe, and I believe it will come very soon, Penrith are going to string a few wins together, I believe. But it won't be enough to get them in the top eight. But I believe Penrith are the side that can, you know, come back from this form slump and win a few games. I'm not talking anything crazy like they've done in the past, but I believe they will string a few games together and they'll be safe from finishing anywhere near last, but they will not finish in the top eight. Yeah, I've got them as pretenders. I mean, I don't really need to say anything more. Up next, the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Contenders. Yes, contenders. Um, they're like the Melbourne Storm. An all-round great side. When you have an all-round great side and basically no weaknesses that I can think of right now, you're going to be a contender for that title. I mean, they've been consistent all year. They are currently first on the ladder. At the start of the year, they were winning sort of by the skin of their teeth. And, of course, they lost their only game to Manly, who's a team that they really should have beat easily, especially at the time. I don't think Manly had won a game so far this season. Um, so that was a bit concerning. However, they seem to have really, and it's hard to say come back from that because they were obviously playing well, but, you know, they've just kicked it into another gear now and contenders. I mean, yeah, there's not much more you can really say about the Rabbitohs. They are amazing. Yeah, contenders. I don't see any complacency slipping into their game, especially under Wayne Bennett. The St. George Illawarra Dragons. Pretenders for me, um, they've had a patchy sort of year so far. They'll heal a little bit of form. They'll go crap. Well, sorry, I think they started off pretty poor. Had a small run of form. Now they're back to not playing amazingly. I think they'll be a bit too patchy, if you know what I mean. Mm. And it will cost them a fair 
bit. So pretenders. Pretenders, I haven't seen anywhere near enough out of the St. George Illawarra Dragons this year. The fact they haven't started strong like previous years is very dour signs for the Dragons fans. Up next to Sydney Roosters, 100% pretenders. They are so crap. I think they'll win the wooden spoon. No, they are contenders. The defending premiers, they are currently still playing very well. Um, even in that loss to the Broncos, I believe they still put up a pretty decent effort and of course that first game that they lost um of course against the Rabbitohs in round one and we know we've mm. touched on the Rabbitohs already an all-star side we went through their side when we talked about Cooper Cronk earlier on so I won't talk about it anymore contenders yeah the Goosters are absolute pretenders they probably need to stop sipping lattes so much and just focus more on football at this stage they're a bit of a laughing stock and I've got no doubt the Titans had put 50 on them um, no, they're the best rugby league team in the world, so I, I don't need to say anything else. They're, they're fantastic. Yeah, up next, the New Zealand Warriors, pretenders. I, I go on about them all the time, that risky football, so I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to say too inconsistent. They look good at the moment. That They're a side sort of like Manly. I'd say they're more likely um, to you know, go on a losing run than Manly, although I think both sides are, you know, going to face a bit of a losing streak soon. So the Warriors are pretenders. I have them as pretenders for now, but listen, Warriors fans, how Cody Nicarima settles into your club will dictate this within the next five rounds. You guys need to win a lot of your next games to start building not only that sort of belief, um, but that consistency also. You guys have been very inconsistent this year, but if any team is to disrupt and upset the rhythm of the Melbourne Storm, there's yeah. uh, Sydney Roosters, the South Sydney Rabbitohs. It is you guys. We saw you do it on Anzac Day against the Storm. You bloody should have won that game. Um, but yeah, Cody Nicarima, how he settles into that side will dictate um, whether I have you guys as contenders in our next fifth round review or five round reviews. Look, with the Warriors, I know you touched on just then, um, you know, how they can disrupt a team like the Roosters, Rabbitohs or Storm. I definitely believe they can do that you know, in the regular season, playing off in a one-off game. But I don't see them reaching the point where they would meet one of those teams in a finals game or in a grand final. And to be honest, strangely, if you I put do. the Warriors... Really? Strangely, I do. When they versed the Melbourne Storm on Anzac Day, Oz, they were six, five, $6 underdogs. They were not expected to win. So they said, hey, let's throw the footy round. Let's turn up in defense for each other. Let's show the Anzac spirit. I don't know what they said, but they shown me something that if their mindset yeah. is correct and they had have had an experienced leader within that team like a Blake Green or now a Cody Nicarima, um, I actually think they could have rolled the storm that day. That day. But again, yeah. I understand where you're coming from because I'm making injury excuses, which is not in the spirit of rugby league. Well, no, no, no. Well, it's not just that. I'm saying in a regular season game, they can 100% do that. Um, I believe that they could beat one of those three teams. I just don't think that they put in the performances consistently enough against the other teams to get to that point where they will make a semi-final, where they will probably verse, because let's just say if they make the finals, they're finishing between fifth and eighth, right? I believe. Okay. And if they do that in the first round, they are not likely to verse the Roosters, Rabbitohs or Storm. I honestly can't see them in that first final probably progressing to the second round, mm. but they are more likely to meet one of those teams or a preliminary final. Okay. And let's just, let's just say they did. I believe by that point, they're not going to win the Storm. I can agree with that, but back to Anzac Day, was that Melbourne Storm complacency or was that the Warriors effort that got them that close in that game? Look, I'd say it is the Warriors' effort 100%. But Which makes it, them dangerous in the finals when, if they can no, turn up with that attitude. No. When they get to the finals, though, they will have that attitude. They will you know, they will give it to yes. a team like that. But, but the fact I, we're not saying it's the Storm's complacency. We're not sitting here going, oh, the Storm were complacent like they were against this, the Bulldogs. The Storm this, rocked up also. This isn't a semi-final game. Melbourne can kick it into it's still a, a big game. In the final. It's still a huge okay. game. I'll give, Anzac Day. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you this. All right. I'm sorry. You know, all respect to Anzac Day, but Anzac Day Rugby League in particular has nothing on finals footy. Okay. You're right. You're quickly, right. quickly, just just hear me out. Hear me out. Okay. Maybe they could beat Melbourne in a semi-finals game. Maybe they could beat South Sydney. But if you put them up against the boys on the top, well, not currently on the top, but you know what I mean. The Sydney Roosters. 
I really cannot see them beating the Roosters in a grand final. And if you want to get all historical about it, just look back to 2002. I mean, the Roosters won that grand final pretty easily against the Warriors. You know, still basically the same sides, I mean. But I I, I get what you're saying. They could, but I really don't see it happening. Anyway, on to the the last team. Did you have something to add in there i'll finish by saying i agree with you they're still pretenders at this stage but if any team is poised to disrupt the rhythm and the style of football the grinding style these top teams play it's the warriors through their lack of i don't care let's throw in or float and that can disrupt some top teams yeah well we'll just have to wait and see um well, um, on to the West Tigers now. <laughs> um, pretenders. Look, I actually think that they will make the top eight just. Um, a bit inconsistent well as well. A bit patchy like the Dragons. Obviously mm. losing by 50 points to Parramatta. I mean, look, pretty soon every team is going to have lost by 50 points at some point in the season and no one is going to win the premiership. We're just not going to give it to anyone because everyone's lost by 50 points. But no, I, I still see them as pretenders. As I said, too inconsistent, I believe. Consistent enough to squeeze into the top eight, but definitely not for a premiership. Pretenders, and I'm going to try to apply some math here. The Eels beat the Tigers by 45 points. The Storm beat the Eels by 50-something points, but the Tigers lose to the Storm by two points. What the hell is going on here? That shows wild inconsistency. <laughs> How I don't understand that. Um, to me, that just shows that Madge Maguire, um, he's a great coach, but he just he's not sparking the reaction he wants out of his players consistently enough that they can turn up for that Storm game, but be beaten by 50 points by the team that they turned up against to win and lose by two points, beat that team by 50 points. That is a tongue twister, but that's what happened. That's all i got to say. It is. So, you know, that's why the Warriors are going to turn up in grand final day against the Roosters and wallop them 50-0. At least that's your prediction from what I'm... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. We'll go with that. I tell yeah. you, I can't tip for shit, so I might as well just start making these outlandish yeah. theories. I mean, I had Penrith finishing second, but apparently that's that's gone to shit now. Well, yeah. Anyway, we've had a lot of fun today, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Well, it has been amazing. I'm currently talking, trying to think of one of my wacky, weird ways to say farewell. I can't think of it right now. So you know what? That's just going to be my farewell. Um, guys, social media is up the top. You know where it's at. Um, just another quick plug to Rugby League in America podcast. Obviously, said a lot of great things about us. So, you know, RLA podcast on Instagram and the Rugby League in America podcast on Facebook and on iTunes. Over to Clarky. Yeah, as Oz said, um, thank you for your kind words, Nate. Really appreciate them. Shout out to Nate Glad. Make sure you check out the RLA podcast. Uh, really grateful to have you guys' company. Hopefully you enjoyed this podcast, and we'll see you guys next week for another great installment.